Let me, let me just key you into a little bit of a dilemma I've been wrestling through pastorally over this week in light of, it's just been a hard week. And we've had on the calendar now, um, for many moons now, that this is Vision Sunday. And when I say many moons, that's pastoral lingo for a couple of weeks, okay? No, 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 no. It's much longer than that. And I just really wrestled with this, with, you know, with God. God, do you, do, should we do Vision Sunday? Are we going to forecast the season ahead? Is that too glib? Is that, is that just, is that not appropriate for the, for the kind of week that we have been, that we've been walking through? And something just, God really pressed something on my heart. Because we're not playing games in here as God's people. We, we believe what God's word says, that his church, his people, as flawed and messed up as they are, is the one last hope for mankind. It is the instrument that God uses to carry forth his gospel. In fact, in 1 Timothy 4, Paul says that the church is the pillar and buttress or foundation of the truth. For Oaks, the church is the only one that has the message of hope that this world desperately needs. And so what we do here as a church family, how we think about our resources and our plans and our money, guys, there's lots at stake. People's souls are at stake. People's spiritual lives, the stakes are high. So say all that to say, we're doing Vision Sunday. Turn to 1 Peter 1, right? And here we go. No, seriously, this is, pray, pray for this as, as we're going through this. This is a lot of material. Um, we'll try to make it engaging and fun as we go along. But we want to forecast for you as elders where we think God is leading us in the coming, in the coming season. What, what does he want us to run after? My grandfather, um, Everett Byron Mitchell, fought in World War II. Um, those are his medals. He fought in North Africa, Sicily, Italy under Patton. And um, my, my grandmother, she stayed at home, worked in a factory they married right before he went off to war, as thousands of other couples did. But before they passed away, I was able to sit down with them and kind of do an extended interview about those four years. And, you know, we had gotten tidbits of their story all along the way, so there wasn't a lot of new information. But when you sort of strung it all together, it was just kind of overwhelming, everything they had walked through. You're talking about a Great Depression, being married, separated for three or four years, not knowing what's going on, okay, writing hundreds of letters back and forth, um, my grandmother working in the uniform factory, my grandfather in the artillery unit, okay, seriously facing physical danger each and every day. And it wasn't until they sat down and kind of strung it all together that you get this sense of like, my goodness, how in the world does anyone walk through something like that? And you know, when I think about us as a church family, Brooks, in, in, in the last four years together, some of you who have not been here that whole time, you might have heard bits and pieces of our story along the way. There's this executive leadership crisis in transition We've launched a new campus and hired pastors and adopted a new statement of faith and got out of a denomination and into a network. Josh, I'm already tired. <laughs> okay, so when you, 
when you think about it and you string it all together, you're just like, man, that, that, how in the world did God sustain us through that? And so when, when we were here last year at this time doing Vision Sunday, I just said, God, and I, and I told this to you, I said, God, I don't know what you have in store for us as a church family this coming season, but please, can we have peace? <laughs> or give us peace. Give us, give us rest. May there not be any major organizational change. May, may no hurricane hit the Four Oaks Center here. May, may, can, we, can we just walk in faithfulness as your people, not, not, not being lazy, not serving, I'm not talking about that, but can we just settle in to what it means to be the people of God here at Four Oaks? And, and folks, by, by God's grace, God has given us a great year. Um, we, we're, we're in a very stable place financially. This, this time last, from this time last year to now, or this calendar year, um, this is the first time our Killarne campus has, has grown. It's grown about, by about 6% since, since all those transitions took place. And new people are coming, and new people are, are joining, and we're finally getting our footing again. And it's, and it's a great thing, and, it, and it's a thing I'm, I'm thankful for. But with that comes the impression on your pastors and elders to be asking, God, <clears throat> what is the way forward? What do you want us to do? You know, you don't, we don't think you've asked us to change the world, but you've given us a stewardship, whether it's one, three, five, or ten talents, that's up to God to determine. But God, we don't want to be that church. We don't want to be the, the church of suburbia that just sort of kicks it. And guys, that would be really easy to do. There's enough resources here, enough gifted people, that on a human level, we could coast for a while. But... We know that that does not honor God. That does not honor his spirit. That does not honor the stewardship that he's given us. And so we've begun to dream again. We've begun to think about what does life as God's family at Four Oaks look like for the coming season and beyond. And I want to use 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12 as sort of our jumping off point for this morning. Because Peter hits on the theme of exile, and that's the theme we want to capitalize on. Peter says, and this is verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you, out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Lord, take this theme of exile... Help us to run all of our lives and ministries and families through it and say, what does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to be fruitful in the situation for which you have called us? And Lord, we want that to be the case for our church witness, for our church body. So Lord, give us your grace, give us your mercy, open up your word and speak to our hearts in your name. Amen.
If you've been here any length of time with us at Four Oaks, you know that I've tried to be as transparent as possible about our TVs, uh, about our family's uh, reality TV show watching. Okay, and so Survivor, right, Gilberts? There is is one of our favorite shows. But one of our favorite seasons on Survivor is Exile Island. Well, thanks. Josh detected instinctively that I was sounding like my voice was full of gravel. Is that what is that what it was, Josh? That was an excellent executive pastor. Thank you. So in this Exile Island season, you know, typically on Survivor, when you get voted off, you are off the island, okay? But in Exile season, they sort of send you to Survivor Purgatory. They send you to this little isolated island, and you're kind of alone and isolated there, and you just basically, it's just basically your ticket to a ginormous piece of suffering, okay? So these people are hungry, they're cold, they're starving, and they have to work their way back into the game if they want it. What's interesting, though, about this, about this season is to see how different people respond to being in exile. See, there's some, see, if this was me, okay, and I figured out on Exile Island you don't get a cell signal, I would tap out immediately, okay, right? Would, would this not be you? Okay, I would be, I'm done. It's not worth it. Forget the million dollars. Um, and some people do that. They can't take it, they, they cry, they pout, they whine, they, they kind of come unglued, they haul them off the show. But there's others, which is interesting, they have the exact opposite reaction. They're galvanized. They, they, they're, they're, their senses become sharp, and they want to survive, and they want to move on, and they want to, they want to make the very best of their, of their situation. And guys, I find that with Christians... Those are the same sort of tensions and reactions and responses that many of us wrestle with when we find ourselves, let's be honest, in exile. Because we, 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 you can say it's a good or a bad thing, it's a reality. There is an increasing cultural, spiritual exile that's sort of settling over the church of Jesus Christ, at least into the West. And just like the people that Peter is writing to were asking God, what do you want us to do? How are we supposed to think about our situation? How are we supposed to even navigate this? Does, does this life just go merrily on? Are you calling us to some distinctive mission? Are we to get politically active? Are we to be bystander? God, what do you want from us? That's what the churches that Peter is writing to, he calls or wrestling with, because they're, they're exiles and strangers. And they have been scattered to and fro. They're physical exiles because they've been separated from their homes. They have, they're part of the Jewish diaspora. That means they've been conquered and deported and thrown all over the known world. But here's the thing. They were also spiritual exiles because they had been cut off from their Jewish heritage because these were Jewish Christians trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of them were despairing. They were growing hardened. They were discouraged. They were asking, God, what do you want us to do? And the reason, folks, that we are going to spend the next four months in the book of Daniel is that Daniel is a living, breathing example of how God calls a people to navigate life in exile. Hope in exile is where we're going to be spending the next four months months. And, and, and let, let me just give you a warning. Plug the ears of your, of your kids next week, parents, okay? Because Joel's, I'm sorry, Daniel's trials 
make Job seem like Joel Osteen. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm serious, okay? And be, but yet we find that Daniel just doesn't merely survive in Babylon. In fact, he thrives. And we don't mean like he thrives. See, we think of thriving, we think of, you know, thriving physically or materially or with our status or, or our safety or our comfort. No, 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 that's not what I mean. Daniel thrives in Babylon because he fulfills God's purposes for why he has put him there. See, folks, I firmly believe, and I know this to be true, that, that, that God has placed his church in, in this time, in this place, for such a time as this. And one of, the, one of the resources that I'm going to recommend to you guys to read, sort of get up to speed, prepare yourself, is a little book by Larry Osborne called Thriving in Babylon. You can pick that up at Amazon or wherever. Plan this morning is here, here's where we're going. I want to spend our next minutes together highlighting four or five themes that we're going to f- come across in the book of Daniel. Remember, Daniel's given us the detailed play-by-play of what it means to be in exile that Peter talks about here. And relate them to where we see God leading us over the coming season, what we want to run hard after as the people of God here at Four Oaks. Okay, That's where we're going. Number one, thriving Daniel-like exiles. Now listen, so think about you as exile. Pursue companionship and community. Thriving Daniel-like exiles pursue companionship and community. Went to a church camp growing up called Camp Vesper Point, a little slice of heaven just north of Chattanooga, and that is a real-life shot of the watering hole where we did our swimming, okay? And one of the things that, that they implemented at Camp Vesper Point was something called the buddy system. So when you went swimming, you had to have a buddy. And during the middle of swimming, swim time, um, the lifeguard would blow the whistle and shout out buddy check. And then he or she would start to count one, two, three, four, five. And if more than five seconds went by before you could connect with your buddy, then all the kids would hold your head underwater. No, that's not what would happen, okay? They would sit you out, okay, on the side of the pool. It was their way of making sure that there was someone in close proximity. Because metaphorically speaking, let me ask you this. When God blows the whistle of trials and suffering in your life, when it is buddy check time, Is anyone close enough to you to help? Is anyone close enough to you to even know that you're in the water, that you are struggling, that you are having difficulty? Let me flip this around and and say it this way. Folks, when God blows the whistle of crisis and suffering in someone else's life, are you close enough to them? to know what's going on. See, the church of God, this isn't just about you need companionship and you need community and do the things that you need to do to take care of yourself. As the church of God is a community of people who care and love for each other. See, when you remove yourself from community, you're not just endangering, okay, yourself and you're swimming and get in trouble, but that means you're not there for somebody else. Guys, Four Oaks, make no mistake, needs you. The people of God needs you. 
And this is what Daniel found when he was in exile. God gave him the gift of three companions. And even if he didn't grow up in the church, you can know those three guys. Who are they? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We'll have some fun with those names as we get into it. Guys, this, these guys were his community. He lived with them. They were thick as thieves, exhorting, encouraging, praying. And one of the things that we want to say here at Four Oaks is that we're a family. And in a family, regardless of all of our other issues, every single person in the family matters. And, and we as a family need each other. And that's why we spend a lot of time, a lot of resources and capital trying to promote, stir up, organize community for us as his people. Um, Scott Steak, and here's a picture of Scott. I think Scott did a little beer trimming since this picture, okay? But you can still, like, keep that up there while I'm talking just for fun, okay? Is that all right, Scott? Scott, guys, Scott oversees all of our groups, okay? Actually, that's very disconcerting. Get that off immediately, okay? (laughs) Scott oversees all of our groups, and he's in charge of our fellowship groups. We have 30-something groups that meet all over the, the, the region of Tallahassee. These are basic Christian communities that we call people to be a part of, to live life together. And there's a little map. You can see where the, all those are, are scattered. Because we are going to change the name of our fellowship groups, groups this year from fellowship group to community group. And, and, and here's why. See, fellowship group sounds a little bit like Sunday school class, right? I show up. I eat some potluck, I share a couple of prayer requests, and then I'll see you again next Sunday. Or, because evangelical church attendance is so bad, I'll see you next month, okay? Or whatever it is, right? Okay? I had to, work, had to work that way in there a little bit. No, 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 no. See, when we're a community, we live life together. And community is not something we go to or something we do. It's something we push towards. It's a relational rhythm that all of us are called to pursue with each other. And so this is a great time at the beginning of the fall season to be thinking about, who is my community? Use whatever terms you want. Who are my companions, my pals, my amigos, my, my mates, my my the buddy system, when the whistle blows, who is close enough to you to know what's going on? There's another way we want to run after really this idea of, of calling you to pursue companionship and community is a couple of strategic gatherings we're having with our men and women this coming year. Um, Debbie Cunningham is in charge of all of our, our women's ministry stuff, and, and I'm not positive, but I think her picture is a little better than Scott. Would everybody agree with this? Okay, I, I think so. One of the things that Debbie is organizing um, for this coming fall season is our big women's weekend conference uh, that's happening November 4th through the 6th. Gretchen Fleming of our church family, who's an excellent teacher, is going to be leading that time in the search for joy. Um, you know, men, when we get away, we go to where the cinder blocks and the mold is, right? Okay, the ladies go to Sandestin Hilton. Okay, so, so ladies, mark your calendars. We would love to have you there. See Debbie out in the lobby for more information. And, and men, just make your reservations at CC Pizza. I will see you there, okay? We'll all be there together. Now, the women go to the beach, and the men go to the river. Okay, so, so we're, men will be back at Camp Anderson. Doesn't that just look picturesque? It's actually a really, really awesome, cool place. And so men, mark your calendars. That's going to happen the last week of March. 
Let me say this, all that to say. Pastor Paul, I'm just too busy. Okay, I, I, I'm just too busy for groups. I'm too busy for community. I'm too busy for gatherings. Okay, Can I step on, can I get the boots on for just a second? So you're too busy to go to FSU games this year? Too busy to, to go hunting? Too busy to go to the beach? Me either, right? Because we prioritize the things we think are important. Let me tell you, no one was busier than Daniel. When you serve in the court of a pagan king, you were on call 24-7. But he ran hard after relationships and community. Guys, we have to do it if we are going to be fruitful and faithful as exiles. Number two, thriving Daniel-like exiles press forward into the grace of God. They press forward into the grace of God. We think more than likely Daniel died in captivity. And, and, and we, we, we believe this because we believe he wrote the book of Daniel. He's writing it some 60, 70 years after the deportation into Babylon by the people of Israel. And we have to ask, what sustained Daniel? Because I don't mean what sustained him for a day or a month or a year, but what sustained this man for decades? You know, the, the, one of the past, Josh and I think we're talking about this that the older we get and the more comrades in ministry that we see fall and that we see who don't, who don't finish their race well and they don't endure, we are just praying, God, keep us. God, protect us. It doesn't mean there's not grace when you fail along the way. There is, there is grace because I want us to endure. I want us to endure in our personal walks. I want us to endure as a church family, Daniel endured. And when we look into the book of Daniel, we're going to see this amazing juxtaposition. On one hand, Daniel is in the throne rooms of kings. He is serving at their behest. He is interpreting dreams. He is giving counsel. He is like the man on a mission. Yet, yet, you cannot, you literally cannot point to a place in Daniel where you don't see Daniel praying. We talked about a rhythm for our spiritual lives this past summer, morning, noon, and evening. That, that was Daniel. Morning, noon, evening, praying, seeking the Lord. Daniel seeking God. Daniel calling out to God. Daniel meditating upon the promises and the word of God. Daniel, as an exile, pressed forward into the grace of God. And for his exiles... God is calling us to press forward into his grace. And I just want to mention three just areas very quickly that I want, to, I want to make you aware of and call you to avail yourself of as you press forward into God's grace. And one, I want to talk about worship, okay? Guys, we, we talk a lot here at Four Oaks, and I think this is good, that worship is not just what happens on Sunday morning. Worship is what happens in life, and that is true. Worship is not what Christians do only. Worship is what people do. We're all worshiping. So how we balance our checkbooks and how we parent, what we spend, all that, it's all an act of worship. However, I do think in our culture and day and age, the pendulum has swung 
to such an extent that oftentimes we view the worship as God's people as something that borders along the lines of nice but not necessary. A good thing if you can make it happen, but let's be honest, sort of optional to the Christian's spiritual life. Because when you read over the Old Testament, you will find that one of the driving forces for the people of Israel to get back to Jerusalem was what? We are going to worship where? In the house of the Lord. We're going up to Jerusalem to be with him in his sanctuary. Because I think, please understand, Jesus is everywhere. Jesus is in your car. Jesus is here. This place doesn't have special mojo. All that. You, you know that theologically from being here. Because let me say this, though. There's something unique. There's something special that happens when God's people come together corporately. That's different as if all of us were at home right now worshiping God in front of our computer screen on Internet Church. There's something totally different. We hear each other's praises. We're sitting under the Word. We are fellowshipping with each other. We're, 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 I'm just encouraged by being here with you. We're not alone. We are exiles together. Folks, this is what Christians do. This is called the Lord's Day. And this is why we spend lots of resources, lots of time, lots of energy making sure that God's people can come together to worship, to listen to his word, to encourage each other. Josh Hughes, you hear me reference him often here. He's here in the front row. There's Josh. Um, A slight upgrade from Scott's picture, but not where Debbie was. Okay, I'll just have to be honest with you. Okay. Now, as Josh gave up his meteoric rise to the top of Publix management some 10 years ago, right, Josh? To come and oversee our worship ministries. And, and what you see Josh do here is not just singularly focus on him leading worship. But Josh recruits and trains and deploys and writes liturgy. And, like, we think this is so important, we set aside a whole staff position to make that happen. But here's a problem, okay? I don't know if you know this, but, but, but Josh has recently accepted a second job, okay? And it's called running the church as executive pastor, okay? So he's got like these two things. And so um, we were like, well, what do we do? Because Josh needs some help. We need to get some people in. So what we did, we rolled up to God's country to Nashville. We started trolling around all the bars and concert scenes until we found this guy, okay? <laughs> and trust me, he, he looks about like that, although he's not allowed to wear that headband in leading worship. That's Travis, Okay. And I really won't be able to tolerate that being up there for very long. Okay, that's, that's Travis Goff. There we go. He's phased into the woodwork. Travis is a great brother. He's here to help us in, in leading worship. You'll see him about twice a month. He's a studio musician from Nashville. I think he's got his wife, Misty, and their two boys. And here's the great thing about Travis. He doesn't care about any of that. <laughs> Don't, he, just, he wants to serve the church. He wants to test out his vocational call to ministry, and we want to walk alongside of him in that, and then enjoy, enjoy his leadership and worship as we do it. That's one way I want us to press into the grace of God this year, is through our corporate worship. Make that a priority. Number two is with something very, very cool that's happening with our children and student ministries this year, OK? 
okay? Because I'm not all in on the superhero genre, okay? Like, I, fe- I wanted to fall asleep in Avengers, and I know that's going to get me pelted with fruit, okay? I totally get it. I'm old school superhero. Every Saturday morning, it was the Super Friends, okay? Remember this, okay? The ho- See, all the children of the 80s are like, hey, hey, yes, I totally remember that. The Wonder Twin power, they were brother and sister, Wonder Twin powers, and what would they say? Activate, absolutely. And he would like turn into some kind of animal, and she would turn into some kind of ice sculpture. So anyway, it was, it was all this crazy thing. And we have our own... You know, I don't know if you know this in our children's student ministries, our own little dynamic duo, Wonder Twins, and they're Robin, Shannon, Piper, and they're right there, except they are not brother and sister, because that would be really creepy. Okay, you got it? All right. Because on any given Sunday, we have about 250 kids over in our children's ministry. The reason we are here right now in relative peace is somebody is with them, and we are really thankful for that. We have about 100 students here on a Wednesday night as part of our large group meeting. But one of our burdens, guys, is we just don't do, this is not merely entertainment or merely having fun, although all that, it's fun, entertaining, all that, is that we want our students to walk out of our ministry with the word of God just draped around their shoulders. And so these guys are inaugurating an initiative called 52 Core, where all of our kids, from, from the time they can talk to the time they graduate from high school, are memorizing a core of verses, one verse a week, those verses stay the same um, throughout their course of time here at Four Oaks so that when they, rad, when they graduate, when they walk out of here, they just have the Word of God all over. Word of God is just pouring out. And guys, here's, what, here's the interesting thing that happens. When our kids and teenagers learn those verses, who else learns them? You, okay, and me. And so we're really, really, really excited about that. A third resource I want to let you be aware of is a book that Pastor Dave and I have been working on called Letting Go. It's going to be published by Zondervan in November. And what I mean, we've been working on it, Dave wrote it, and I paid to have my name on it, okay? So it's really, it's a real privilege. We, we wrote this book to help those of you in, in the body of Christ who are struggling with, with, with wayward people in your life, prodigal children wayward spouses, um, rebellious family members, people who might have professed faith at one time and then walked away. Guys, it can be really complex navigating those situations for those of us who have found ourselves right in the middle of them. We hope that this book can offer some sort of resource for people who are walking through these kinds of situations. And so one of the things that we're going to do just as a real thank you to Four Oaks for supporting us and encouraging us in this project, is that we'll have a, we'll have a Letting Go seminar event um, at, towards the end of November. Open it to the community, but all Four Oaks people go free. All Four Oaks people get a free copy of the book. I'll autograph your book. Dave will autograph your Bible, okay, and it'll be okay. No, no one should be autographing your Bible except John Piper, okay? He should autograph your Bible, absolutely. That's a thank you. Number three, let's keep moving. Thriving Daniel-like exiles don't sulk, they serve. Don't sulk. Remember I told you about the illustration? Some people get on Exile Island and just come, they just come apart. They are, they are good for nothing. What, is, what does Daniel do? Guys, if there's anybody, as we're going to find out next week, who could have sulked, okay, who, could have, who could have like crawled up in the fetal position and cried after 
being deported from his home and made a eunuch and a whole host of other really, really, really awful things. And we're going to talk about next week. It would have been Daniel. But he says, you know what? God, what do you want me to do? And God could have said, I want you to lead the people to freedom. He could have said, I, I want you to rise up. Okay? I, I, I want you to, to, to lead the captives out of captivity. But you know what God said to do? Daniel, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to bed and get up in the morning, and I want you to serve. I just want you to serve. I just want you to be faithful. See, there can be a great tendency for us as God's people, people in exile, to see the world falling apart and say, we've got to do something. We've got to mobilize. Pastor Paul, I need a platform for ministry. I need, I need to be able to to affect change globally and way out there. And God just says, no, no, what I want you to do is to be an usher next Sunday morning. I want you to go serve in children's ministry. Guys, this this year, my heart's desire, let me just say this, you guys have been amazingly generous in in your financial giving. You've excelled in the grace of generosity. I really want to call us this year to excel in the grace of serving. Peter tells us that's how God's grace is poured out and multiplied to his people. It is through their gifts. When you came in, you should have had a little card on your, on your chair. And our bouncer is going to be collecting those at the door. with your No, just kidding, just kidding. Because um, we have a lot of needs here to make this stuff happen. Children, students, ushering, greeting, manning tables. I mean, because this is a, it's a big deal. We gladly do it. We, it's a labor of love. But we want to engage you in asking how you're asking God to use your gifts to build up the body of Christ here at Four Oaks Church. Take that card, pray over it. Even better, while you're praying, fill it out and hand it to Joe on the way out today, okay, at the Connect desk. We would love to have that. Guys, in children's ministries, they still need five pre-K teachers, five elementary teachers. Teachers. Guys, what a blessing. What a grace to have people pouring into our kids. It's a grace to me. I know it's a grace to you. Guys, don't salt. Let's serve. Let's serve. Number four, thriving Daniel like exiles. Now, understand this. Stay with me. Understand that their status, meaning their status as exiles, is the heart of their mission, not an obstacle to it. See, there's a tendency as Christians to look at everything that's crumbling around us and say, our opportunities are gone. Our opportunities are lost. Our religious freedoms are being being taken over. And, and, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And what about our witness? Because you want to talk about having your religious liberty squashed. (laughs) Here's Daniel in the pagan court of this king. And he didn't say, you know what? This situation is an obstacle to mission. No, no, what does he say? This situation is an opportunity for mission. This is my mission. And one of the things that we're going to be impressed with over and over again from the book of Daniel is how, on one hand, Daniel is winsome and engaging and respectful of the culture that's around him, while at the same time, full of truth. A biblically informed conscience a person who, who ran hard after integrity and honesty. And, and to be honest, for us, 
That's something I really pray that God would give us grace for in the coming season. That we would not view our exile status as an obstacle, but to view it as an opportunity. Two things I want to highlight real quickly. Ron Machado, J. Johansson. See, we keep upgrading our pictures as we go along. Poor Scott, I'm sorry. I just keep, I keep using his picture as the reference point. But anyway, Ron Machado, J. Johansson. Ron's one of our elders. And Ron and Jay have been working on this community forum they're putting together called Explore. And this is an opportunity for you and for me to bring our non-Christian friends, unchurched friends, uh, spiritually speaking friends, to a place where we can engage and talk and ask questions about a variety of spiritual issues, obstacles to faith, apologetics. And let me say this. This class is not... This is not a snooty-tooty class for snooty-tooty Christians who come and want to debate free will, okay, and Arminianism and Calvinism. If that's you, take me to lunch and we'll do that number, okay? But don't, but don't come to this class. This class is, I've, I've been building a relationship with this guy or this woman. She's got questions. She's searching. I want to, I want to come and bring them and enjoy fellowship and food and an opportunity to engage in that sort of context, because I'm really, really, really excited about that opportunity these guys are putting together. A second thing that we think that, that, that God is calling us to run hard after as kind of the heart of our mission as relates to our partnership with the Sojourn Network. Many of you know we are part of a church planting network. We, we contribute generously to it. If you go outside in the lobby today and look on the wall of our gospel partners you will see 12 or 14 churches that are scattered across the country that our contributions to the Sojourn Network help to support. We think that this work of the network is so strategic that about a year ago, um, our pastor, Pastor Dave, and if you don't know Pastor Dave, let me flash a picture of him up there. That's Pastor Dave. I respect my elder, so I won't say anything negative about that picture, okay? And so, you know, that Dave came here three years ago um, to help fill out our teaching team. And about two years ago, the elders really recognized Dave's gifting as it relates to being invested in the kingdom, to being invested extra locally, writing, um, speaking, directing a network. And so Dave moved into that role as executive director of the network about, about a year ago. And as God has continued to bless that work, God has continued to multiply that work, and the network has continued to grow, both Dave and the elders are, are full of faith to continue to press that partnership. And so Dave is going to be um, um, going to about three-quarters time as leader of the network. And, and what this will mean for Dave is that, that D- Dave's going to be reigning here. Dave's going to be an elder in this church. You will continue to see Dave preaching on a monthly basis. Okay, here I'll be preaching or um, typically the majority of the other times. But we think that this is an opportunity as exiles, to press into mission. See, it'd be very easy to say, well, I don't want Dave to do that. I want Dave to be here. I want Dave to minister to my needs. I want Dave, I I like Dave's preaching, and all those are totally, totally true. But you know what? As Sim Keller has said, and you've heard me say this before, being, having the kingdom as a value means oftentimes having to say goodbye. We're not saying goodbye to Dave geographically. We're saying, Dave, we want to apportion your resources and your stewardship 
in this particular way because we want to impact the gospel kingdom. Because we want Four Oaks to be more than merely about itself. And this is a great way for us to do it. Last thing and we're going to be done. Thriving Daniel-like exiles need a vision to sustain them. See, most of the stuff works that we've been talking about this morning has been short to intermediate sort of kind of thinking. But in the, in the, in the winter of 2017, we're going to have an opportunity publicly to begin to talk about how we think God would have us leverage our financial resources to sort of three central priorities. Okay? And one of those relates to this building. You know, it's a misnomer to say that we bought this building in 2010. What did we actually do? We began to buy this building, okay? And now we are continuing to buy this building. And, guys, and we, are, we are, I mean, what a grace this has been to us. Our vision was to have this as a, as a third place. And if you come here on a Wednesday night and see the food truck or what goes on at Living Harvest or what's about to come in at Maple Street, and you may say, well, what's going on with Maple Street? I don't see any progress. Just remember, we live in Leon County which means process over progress, okay? But no, they've, all, they've done all the demolition. They've gone through all the, they're going through the permitting right now. That'll, that'll happen soon. All of these things serve to draw in the community to this place so that we can serve and we can be connected and we can be, and we can be visible. Because one of the things that we know we're going to need to do is to eliminate, um, begin to eliminate the debt that's on this property. We strategically... Um, borrowed money for this property because we knew it was going to serve us and be a home base for ministry. And we think now, and coming in 2017, is the opportunity to begin to be better stewards, to free up money, the money that we can save on a monthly basis by paying off the first of those loans can be used for all sorts of things, things like this next thing I want to talk to you about. We think, guys, that God has positioned Four Oaks uniquely to serve our community in a specific way. Because when we think about the Israelites in Babylon, this is what God tells Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah, tell the people to serve. Tell the people to just be patient and faithful and serve the city in which they live. And that's what God's people did. Four Oaks, God has called us as exiles in this city to serve our city, to serve our community. Now, a lot of times what happens is that initiatives for serving the community um, can sort of fall flat because they don't take into context what God's doing at a particular church or the people's gifts or their resources. Because one of the things that the elders are increasingly excited about is the way that God is using Four Oaks to serve our community through life issues. By God's grace... Four Oaks is a, is a flagship church in this city as we've partnered with the Women's Pregnancy Center, as we've partnered with the Phi Center, as we've marshaled resources towards guardian, supporting guardian ad litems or foster care um, and adoption. Guys, there's stories you don't even know about. There's stories of families in this church who have not only walked alongside of women who are contemplating an abortion or in a crisis pregnancy, but walk alongside of them all through their pregnancy to the time they deliver, and then afterwards when the real life 
begins. Having these women in their homes and coming alongside of them and pouring into them. And and let me just say, it's a mess. (laughs) It's a mess. But it's a glorious mess. It's a gospel mess. And we feel as leaders that God is leading us as a church to be even more strategic, more organized, more intentional with our resources for that. We think God can, can use you and us and our generosity to really change the lives of many of these women and children here in Tallahassee. That's something that excites us very much. One last piece that you'll hear more about in 2017. We believe that God has kept, has put an emerging vision for us for mission here. Let me ask you a question, parents. When is the best time to have a kid? Parents, what would you say? If you... if you don't say never, you're not a parent, right? Okay, so never. Okay, it's never a good time, okay? Somebody should, there's pregnant, oh my gosh, we've got to cancel that trip. We have to rearrange this thing in life. Never a good time. Guys, in the church, there's never a good time to multiply. There's never a good time to multiply your, your community group. There's never a good time to plant a church. There's never a, a good time to start a congregation. But guys, it's, it's what we do. We launched a second congregation three years ago in the middle of all sorts of tumult, and I, it was one of the hardest things. I, 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 wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to go back, but I'm so glad we did it. Does that make sense? And we believe that God is stirring with us, again, a vision to say, we don't want to just be one church in two locations. What does it mean for us to be one church in three locations? What does it mean to go out east, for example, where growth and development and people are happening, where there are very, very, very few gospel churches. What would it look like to happen happen in the next 12 months or the next 18 months or, or whatever God has for us? But we have begun to dream again. We just really ask that you would come alongside of us and to pray for all of these things. As we think about being exiles running after community and serving and the grace of God and, and mission and all those things. Because we know that ultimately all these things are in our, our plans, the plans of men we entrust to the hands of God. Who directs them in his hand like he does the heart of a king like water wherever he may go. And so if you don't know who your, your elders are, let me just flash a picture of them there. There they are. Aaron, I was right, read across the top. Aaron Kennan and Dave Fiore and Kent Hamilton and Kent School, uh, Kerry Schoolfield, sorry, Mike Slutterbeck, Pete Butler, Ron Machado, Steve Curio, Tom Thacker. You have your, your pastors and Josh, and myself, and Pastor Scott and Rob and Dave. Guys, we just want you to know we love you. And, and we believe God has called Four Oaks, set Four Oaks apart to make an impact for the kingdom and for the gospel. Would you, would you join me in praying that this year would be everything God intends it to be for the Four Oaks family? Let's stand and I'm going to pray and dismiss us.